So um, that's where we are. We're taking a look at these uh, targets, the target of loving one another and loving God. And so uh, that's kind of where we are. We're in the middle of the section on brotherly love. And uh, um, why go into the depth of this? Part of the reason for it is that we hear these terms often thrown around, and they're thrown around from a worldly perspective and definition. And as we as we look at the world uh, more in this day and time, what we see is people redefining things, and they're reusing, they're they're taking brotherly love to the point that it takes all the righteousness out of it. Well, real brotherly love involves righteousness. See, because that's we've been imputed with it. The Lord has has shown us what it means to live in grace and truth. He is the embodiment of that. And so learning how to do that is a, a big part of growing up. Learning how to how to uh, relate to other people properly, that's part of what we do. So instead of going outside to a whole lot of other books and reading a whole lot of things that have been done and commentaries and all that, what we're doing is letting the Scripture tell us because the Holy Spirit inspired every single usage of Philadelphos and the words that are related to it. Every single one. And what they what he did was weave through the New Testament a beautiful picture of, of what brotherly love actually means. So we are seeking to let the word define it for us. And then we try to uh, adjust ourselves to that meaning. That's the way we should do anything. So let us take just a moment for prayer and uh, present ourselves in front of the throne of grace and ask that the Holy Spirit will be our real teacher this morning. Let us pray. Father, again, we're so blessed and honored and privileged to be able to come together in a country that still permits us to assemble freely together. Father, so it was so easy for us to uh, not not appreciate that. But yet so many of our brothers and sisters around the world, anytime they meet, they meet in fear of uh, persecution, government intervention, all types of things. So Father, I pray we'll make full, full use of the freedom that you have so graciously uh, extended to this country and that we will seek to use it to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this we ask in his name. Amen. Well, we have uh, been looking at this target, and hopefully we've got this all memorized by now. Applying all diligence, and what are we going to do? All diligence, and the next thing you add to the diligence is the faith, and that's all about growth in Christ Jesus. The faith is about the object of the faith, and the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we grow in the faith, what do we add to it? Virtue. We should know quite Clearly, that is revealed by God, part of the moral revela- the moral revelation, the moral argument for God, is we know what's right and wrong. So we should live in a virtuous way. So he says, take this faith in the Lord, the object. You add, because this is all about what we have to add here, virtue. And virtue, we also see translated excellence in a few places. Then in this virtue, then we add the knowledge. Now, the knowledge is the knowledge on top of knowledge that keeps on growing. And that's what it's talking about. And so that's really where good study, good understanding comes from. 
is as we've we've kind of got the the prerequisites done here. We've got faith in the right object, and then we there's certain things that are right and wrong. We ought to know that easily, and that's what we we want to add. And then we start studying. Then we dig in. We dig into the Word and see what it has to say. And when any time we think we know it all, we're we're in for a rude awakening. Uh, we there's sometimes we'll you, you know. <laughs> Christians, as we get a little older and been around a while, we we play at humility. And we think that, oh, I I know I can't say, well, I know it all. But so we say, oh, yeah, there's so much more for me to learn. When we go, uh, uh, maybe there's not. Maybe I know it all already. Well, there indeed is. Self-control is needed because knowing the right thing to do and doing it is something totally different. And after the self-control is perseverance, not just to, to do it once, but to keep doing it. We're watching the football playoffs take, take over now. And one of the things about football is that it requires, you've got to want to win. If you don't want to win, they don't want you on the team. You've got to want to win. You have to, to apply the strategy. This is going to be our training. This is the way we're going to do it. And then the behavior. You have to keep after it and keep doing it they say the great athletes try to do it until they don't get it wrong and usually we're trying to do things to get it right but those that really excel they want to do it until they don't get it wrong anymore that should be us in the christian life quite honestly that should be where we are to know what to do and want to do it until we are fully trained and we don't get it wrong we can get it wrong but that's where we should, that should be our ideal. So to persevere, and notice these circles keep getting smaller, and they're taking us to godliness. Godliness is a reverence, a total reverence and a respect for God. And as you look at, at what he has done, I mean, not just the written word and a respect for that, but he has revealed himself through nature, the natural revelation. And to have a respect for that, not a worship of it, quite obviously, like the, the new religion is, to worship the earth instead of uh, see God's hand in what he has done. But a godliness is, a, is an awe, to look up into the heavens and see his handiwork, to be able to look at the flora, the fauna, the animals, our human body. Now, I know a lot of our bodies are breaking down right now, but still, it's working well enough to keep working. So it, there is a, a beautifully and wonderfully made element to it. And in the godliness, the brotherly love, that's what we've been looking at, that is a Philadelphos. That's the warmer type of love. Agape is more of the adjusting to the right standards. It's doing what's right and best when you don't feel like it. The phileo type of love is a warmth and a friendship. That's with, with one another. We often don't have that with very many people in our lifetime, those people that we feel really uh, close to. And yet, we're called to have a brotherly love with our next-door neighbors, etc. And that's what we're called to advance in. And there's, a re- there's reasons for it. That's what we're looking at. And in the sphere of this brotherly love, the love, which is the love of God. So, <clears throat> this is what we're shooting for. This last two are the greatest commandments. And that's what we want to seek to fulfill uh, the two greatest commandments in our life. Now, we're at point eight, actually, in the summary 
here. We've been through the first uh, seven points of, um, of brotherly love uh, last last week. But brotherly love requires a humility of soul. That's where we left off in 1 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9. And our sin nature is just inherently prideful. So you take the sin nature that is a part of us and a part of who we are, and right in the middle, we, we, we want to be better than others in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so many times in the sin nature says, I want to look better. That's why a lot of young people compare their, cell, their cells with how they look compared to how other people look. And so there is a constant comparison going on. It actually ends up at times in a spirituality by comparison. Well, I'm not nearly as bad as old so-and-so. Or I don't look as bad as so-and-so. Or I'm not as good an athlete as so-and-so, but I want to be better than everybody else on the planet. There's, there's, there, the sin nature looks for ways to rationalize to be better than other people. We want to elevate ourselves. But brotherly love gets rid of that. Brotherly love requires a humility of soul. Now, First <clears throat> Peter 3 says, to sum it up, let everybody be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, our word, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil, nor insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose so that you might inherit a blessing so this brotherly love requires a humility we have to put ourselves in the right position and that means that we don't see ourselves as as useless worthless or anything else we need to see us as god sees us and especially as believers because <clears throat> who are we now we are in christ that's who we are positionally we're seated at the right hand of the father right now we, there is not, nothing inherently good in us, but, but the Holy Spirit is now in us. So there is something different. So <clears throat> he says, don't, don't get involved in all this worldly game, insult for insult and everything else. And you might remember this thing called envy. Um, envy, uh, jealousy. One of them is, is uh, I want what you've got, envy. Jealousy is I want to keep what I've got, not willing to share it. And it's the same word. So oftentimes it's when it pops in there, it is looking at both of those both of those elements that I want to keep what I've got. And God's a jealous God, so there's a godly jealousy, right? But <clears throat> envy is when we decide we want what somebody else has got and we're willing to do something that is... Uh, not biblical or not honorable or not virtuous in order to get it. That's where the problem comes in. Uh, many people say that uh, envy was, uh, they, they say pride was Satan's original sin. But when you look at it, maybe it was envy. When you take a look at, at who was he, what did he have, he had it all, except he wasn't God. He wasn't God. And it appears that when he said, I'll be like the Most High, that he wanted to change that. So maybe envy was the first uh, sin that came along. Now, <clears throat> brotherly love is expressed through different relationships in life. Turn to Hebrews 13, if you will. 
I've been going back through Hebrews, which is a wonderful book. I'm trying to get it ready to put it up on the website. And uh, it's, a, it's a challenging book, to say the least. But look at chapter 13. It says, Let love of the brethren continue. Now, this is a uh, beautiful picture. It's set in the form of a command. So he says, there it is. Let's, what you've got, keep on. What you don't have, get better at. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, this is part of loving the brethren. Don't neglect showing hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Interesting. Angels without knowing it. Then he says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. This is, a, this is a picture of brotherly love, isn't it? It is something that, were you once a stranger before God? You start looking at where we once were, and then you see why we're supposed to love the brethren. Because we were once strangers and aliens, just like uh, Abraham was described to be a stranger and an alien. Now we're part of the family. Okay, so he's brought us into the family. He's let us in. And he says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body, the body of Christ, the singular body of Christ. All believers are in that body. And how do you get in there? It's not by joining a church anywhere, anytime. You get into this body of Christ by believing in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're entered into a part of the body. Now, how diverse is the body? We're a bunch of knuckleheads. I mean, I think you can see it in the 12 apostles that he picked to go out and, and evangelize the world and all the diversity that you see in them. Yeah, we're just a bunch of goofballs. So that's what the body is. So wouldn't, shouldn't they be welcome amongst a bunch of goofballs? Well, <clears throat> we were welcomed in, and he says, as those in prison with them, those that are suffering for the cause of Christ. Brothers and sisters. And he says, <clears throat> Since you're also in the body, let marriage be held in honor among all. Now here's quite a statement, because look at the relationships it's talking about. It's talking about those people you don't even know. Those people you know that are in prison, or you've heard about that are in prison for the cause of Christ. And he says, Marriage. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. See, doesn't that connect in to what Peter's writing right here about in your diligence supply the faith and in your faith supply virtue? Okay, it's, it's right in at the top of important things. And he says, for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. See, brotherly love, let love of the brethren continue. The writer of Hebrews says that. And then he starts giving us some examples in there. Now, <clears throat> there's a point 10, you'll see, is a summary of other descriptions of this brotherly love. And this is, a, we're not going to go through each one of these verses. But what we're going to do is, you see the little Greek words off to the side? 
This is everywhere philos is used and attached to another word because it was one of those words that lended itself quite easily to be attached to something else. And you can look just a glance at point 10 and point 11, and you can see that there are a lot of different ways that philos is attached to other words. And so what about being a lover of good? Philagathos. Agathos is that which becomes good. Philos means you're a friend of it. Being a lover of good. You see something good going on, something good happening, you just love it. Every now and then we get something good on the news media. We ought to be lovers of that good. We see someone do good to someone else. We ought to be a lover of that kind of good. Those are positive things about brotherly love. A wife loving her husband, that's even spelled out. Philandros is the word. Philos, again, is our common word. Andros comes from onir, and it's talking about a husband, a nobleman. And that's just used of a wife who is loving her husband. We find the word philema, <clears throat> which is saluting one another with, uh, via contact with each other. Uh, it, the spadzomai is the word for salute, but it is a display of, of love for one another. The M-A ending that you find on the end of nouns in the Greek language indicates it's a result of something else. So whenever you salute one another, you greet one another, as is often translated. It usually puts greet one another with a holy kiss and it, by application. Uh, there are churches that literally do that. They greet one another with a holy kiss. And uh, that's not common in this culture. It's not really what it's saying to literally do. Use a culturally appropriate greeting to other people. And have you ever had walked into a room and somebody, it's kind of like somebody goes, and they, like, I wish you wouldn't have come. <laughs> we are not supposed to be those people. Okay? The Christians are supposed to have a genuine love for one another based on the love that God has given to each and every one of us. It doesn't mean we have to condone everything we do. We don't throw, they do. We don't have to throw righteousness out the door to do that. But boy, when you see another believer in Christ, when you run into them, especially if you haven't maybe seen them for a while or something, then how are we supposed to greet them? We ought to be happy to see them. That's what this is, is saying. How about philotheos? Theos, the word for God. Being a lover of God. That's brotherly love, part of it. How about loving strangers? Philozenos. See how they put in xenos as the word for stranger, alien. I know we're not supposed to use aliens except in terms of extraterrestrials anymore. But that's what it's been called all for millennia, all the way back to the time of Abraham, whenever somebody came through your country and they were not uh, habitant there, they were an alien. That's what, what they were viewed, sojourners, frequently what they were called in the, in the Old Testament. But the love of strangers, Hebrews 13, too, we just read it, and it talked... Don't neglect showing hospitality to strangers. Then we find uh, the love of all mankind, philanthropia. Anthropos is the main word there. The feminine word gets attached, that noun gets attached to philos. And love all of mankind. Now, how do you love all mankind? That's going to take some time, isn't it? 
But the question is, will we love as God loved? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world. Now, how did he love the world? He certainly didn't love all the evil, evil, sin, and things that were going on in there. But what he had was a concern for their well-being and a desire for their salvation. Now, do we see things the same way? Or are we more of the attitude, let's kill them all like God sorted out? What Do we want to see salvation of other people? How about Philostorgos? <clears throat> An affection toward one another. Storgos is a word that is a deep-seated affection like a parent for a child. So this is not just to kind of stop at a passing glance. We need to genuinely have this type of, of love for other people. Philotechnos... <clears throat> is a word to love children. Technos is a word for child. Philos for love. So one who loves children. And those who love godly honor. Tameomai is one of the words that means to have weight. And it is a, a word that indicates um, honor. So when you see that someone has an honor, not just because they view it as a duty within the world in which they live and they find it the best coping mechanism, but when somebody has a legitimate honor, and they are not willing to compromise it. Those are the things that we ought to love. <clears throat> now, these are other descriptions of this kind of brotherly love. Now, what about some love of other things? Like being a lover of money. Philaguria. Hmm. That's not viewed as good, is it? Because if you love money more than you love people, then guess who's going to get priority in your life? And sadly, that's what happens with a lot of, of um, can we say corporations? All corporations are not bad. Let's don't even go down that rabbit hole. But some um, entrepreneurs oftentimes have the same mindset. Some sole proprietors often have the mindset that I, uh, I love this money more than I love other people. It's interesting how people start, who uh, get in high positions, start looking at people as numbers and data, data sets, instead of looking at the fact that these are real people who have families and they need to, they, there needs to be a compassion and a care. And I know that my degree is in business management. I know there's sometimes decisions have to be made. <clears throat> They're going to hurt people, but there are ways to make those decisions and ease the pain as much as possible. Now, <clears throat> being a lover of money, covetous, philargaros. Ah, you want what somebody else has got. A lover of self, philautos. This is 2 Timothy 3, 2. 2 Timothy 3. In the last days, men will be lovers of self. Okay? That's the hedonistic mindset, which is the next one, actually, a lover of pleasure, philadenos, hedonos, hedonism, put together with philos, and it's a lover of hedonism. And it's interesting, I think we have a lot of people in this world, actually, that that's all they live for, is the next pleasure that they can bring about uh, in their life. I think it's interesting, too, how people can actually get uh, convinced that some things bring about pleasure when all they bring about is pain. 
Um, <laughs> I'm not going to, I don't know if I ought to say it or not. Some people think Starbucks coffee is the world's greatest coffee, and they have they have great pleasure when they go pay $10 for a cup of coffee, and they think this is really good. I do not share that thought with them. I do not like a blast of bitter coffee put into my body. I like coffee, but I doctor it. Whenever I'm in, whenever I'm out with people, I drink it black. I can drink it about any way, but there are some things that just is not on my pleasure scale at all, and that is that is one of them. So probably get sued over that, but <clears throat> can't get blood out of a turnip. A lover of pleasure. We've turned that into an art form in the United States. We figured out different ways to uh, experience what we view as pleasure. How about philia? Simply means to be friending the world. Yeah, we think the world's a lot better to have a, a friend than God. What about those who love strife? I know nobody in here has ever run into somebody just likes to argue. <clears throat> nobody in here has got a family member that will argue with you about anything and everything, anytime. Okay? Uh, I've actually run into people over the course of my life, I'm not talking about anybody in the church here, <clears throat> that you can't even agree with them. Have you ever noticed that? They make some statement and you go, <clears throat> that's a good statement. The next thing you know, they're criticizing the statement that they just made because they like to argue. Okay, how's that for the for the um, unity of the body? <laughs> Just not real good. They love strife, contentious. Another word similar to that. <clears throat> Philonikos. It's a battle. It's a constant, ongoing battle. Some people just like to fight. Some like to do it with words. Some like to do it with fists. Well, it's not good for brotherly love. What about worldly philosophies? Philosophia, philosophia, the Sophia. That the way, that's the way it is used in Colossians 2:8. Of course, there is a philosophy that is good. It is a love of wisdom, literally what the word means right there. But it is a love of wisdom, and it is saying that hey, I'd I'd really like to know how things fit together. These are things that I find to be valuable in my life. I want to have a wisdom, and I love wisdom when it when it arrives because it it tells me what to do in different situations. And the more we learn from the Scripture and understand it, <clears throat> and pray the Lord and pray for wisdom, because there's a worldly wisdom from James three and a heavenly wisdom also from James three, and sometimes they look so close. You can't hardly tell the difference. But one of them is from the earth, from below. Earthly, natural, demonic is the way it's described. And the other is from above. And that's the one that comes from God. So we want the, not just the, we don't want a worldly way to figure out how to cope and get along. We want a divine way. And to get that, James 1.5, that was the lead up before they got to James 3, said, ask for it. Ask for it. And from experience, I can tell you, you often don't get it till the very microsecond you need it. 
You can spend a whole lot of time in worry. And really the best thing I think we could do, we think about things, yes, and true and right, but we pray for wisdom and then we trust him to provide it when we absolutely need it. Worldly philosophies, loving first place. Philoprotuo loves to be first place among the brethren. Mm. Love to be seen praying. Matthew 6, 5. This is the Pharisees. Oh, yes. Who would like to pray? And all the Pharisees' hands go up. Now, if you hold your hand up, it doesn't mean you're a Pharisee. But if you're amongst Pharisees, you can bet the hands are going to go up real fast. Because they like to be seen praying. Loving first place. Love to be seen praying. Love the places of honor. Love the places of honor. This is some very practical information. Because even if you, what if you're the one going to be the speaker at a particular thing? What do you do? Immediately go up to the front, take your seat, claim your spot, or do you wait to be shown up there by the host of the gathering? In all practicality, it is best to wait to do that because you can almost count on you taking the wrong seat. If you go up there and decide, I'm going to carve this seat out for me, it's probably not going to be the one you should have been sitting in. So, <clears throat> you let someone else say, you sit here, you sit here, this is, this is why we're here. They love recognition by man, Luke 20, 46. Again, we're looking at Pharisees, legalists, ones who set rules for everybody else to keep but them. Loving anyone more than Jesus Christ. That's harmful to brotherly love. A person, place, thing, or event, when we put anyone in front, it's an idol. And loving one's lifestyle more than we love the Lord. He who wants to keep his life shall lose it. We want to keep our lifestyle more than we want to love the Lord. You know, it's interesting because... Sadly, over the course of the last few decades, I can remember whenever we went to other countries to wage war to defend our lifestyle. Those being the actual words that were used. And you went there to defend our lifestyle, but you couldn't get the gospel out. The military was prohibited from doing it. What's wrong with that picture? Our lifestyle's wrong. With that picture. And there are counterfeits. You can see that. Being loved by the world. John 15, 19. Jesus in the night before the cross said. Be careful when the world loves you. <laughs> if, if everybody in the world loves you. There's probably a problem in you. And. How about being one who loves to lie. Revelation 22, that's closing out the canon of Scripture right there in the last few verses of it. And the Lord's giving the final exhortations in that revelation. And there are people who just love to lie. I don't know if you've run into any of them before or not, but some people would lie when the truth would serve them better. And that I have yet to figure out. That's what they do. Now... Moving on to the next um, topic. Those were the summary of the descriptions that hinder it. And we've already been through this. I don't need to.
go through all these again, and I know you're getting bored because you've got it all memorized, and it's all right up there, and you're going, oh, I've heard that. So, anyway, in the sphere of the faith, the virtue, the knowledge, the self-control, the perseverance, the godliness, and the brotherly love, we should add, the love. Because it just said, applying all diligence. Put this diligence to work in every single one of those areas, including this. Now that means you need to believe all of this. This whole target that's drawn, it needs to be a matter of, of faith. We need to believe it. We need to live it. We need to learn about each one of them. We need to be empowered in it. We need to stick with it, perseverance. We need to conform to it, godliness. We need to spread it, brotherly love. And how about enjoy it? Enjoying the love of God. Sometimes we think, well, he's so far and distant and all that, that he's, he's somewhere, he's a God that is far away. And the scripture says over and over again, no, he's not. No, he's not. He is the God who is here. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book about that. The God who is here. And it is phenomenal. That's who he is. How far away is he? We're the ones that have the problem with distance. Not him. Our love for God should be with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now when that was written in Deuteronomy 6, it says heart, soul, and strength. And then whenever Jesus quoted it, in Mark 12, 29 to 31 and other places, he said heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, did he make a mistake in a quotation? No, because he understood the spirit of what was there. To the Jews, they had heart, soul, and strength, and that was the totality of their being. That's what Deuteronomy 6, 5 was all about. Love God with every part of who you are. Now, by the time of the Greek influence in the first century, they'd added in the concept of the mind. So he added that in, heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he was again saying to them the totality of your being. Because they could have said, well, he left out mind, and now we know a different part about mind, and now we have a, a, a better idea, a fuller understanding of the way that the natural world really works, and therefore that could have been a mistake. Nobody challenged what he said. In fact, he was said, it was confirmed, said, you are right. Can you imagine... Lord talking to you and you going, you're right there. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine the level of arrogance? You are talking to the creator of the universe. Okay? And he makes a statement and you go, you're right. It kind of bugs me when I run in, listen to somebody on the news radio or something like that every now and then. And they got somebody and they go, you were right on that. Well, who are you? <laughs> You're like, here they are, they're running the show, and you are God and confirming what they said. No, you're not. <laughs> you could say, I agree with you. Instead of say, you're right. Okay, that kind of makes it a little bit different. Now, <clears throat> his love for us teaches us about love. How do we want to learn about love? Okay, this is agape now. Hey, agape, that's how it finishes out this, this list. Agape love. Agape love is, is uh, 
a difficult word to define. We've fought with this all the way back in seminary because we were trying to, it's like nailing, trying to nail jello to a wall. It just didn't want to stay. How are you going to get the exact words that you need? The best definition I've heard is doing what is right and best when you don't feel like it. Okay, <clears throat> that still doesn't quite get it because there's a lot more to it. Agape is used in its derivatives, agapa, or used over 120 times in the New Testament. So you've got uh, you've got a big, broad subject to deal with. Now, now we're not going to go through all of them with th- with this study because we're looking at the love of of God. Hey, agape. Now, <clears throat> the Lord prayed that we would fully appreciate the Father's love. So we want to learn about the love. Then what do we need to do? We need to learn about who defines what love is all about, and that's the Father himself. Jesus in John 17, the high priestly prayer, the and probably given in Gethsemane, the night before the cross, the next day. And he is praying, and he says, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these have known that you did send me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, that the love wherewith you did love me may be in them, and I in them. You see that amazing prayer? The love that he loved the Son with, for God so loved the world, he said, I want those who are followers of you, I want them to know the love that you and I have. That's his prayer. A high priestly prayer. That's what he wants for each and every one of us. Now, do you think the Father loved the Son? I, there shouldn't be an argument. One there. He loved the Son totally and completely. And he prayed we would appreciate the Father's love. Because the Father's love doesn't change. You know, sometimes as human parents, we've got love for our kids, and it doesn't change. It doesn't change. It might not be noticed, or sometimes we don't express it properly. But it doesn't change. That's that's who we are. It's the same way with God the Father. His love for us doesn't change. Now, we do some stupid things, and he knows that. He knew that before he permitted us to exist. And he still permitted us to exist. So here is a love that is not based on, on my actions. Here is an unconditional love that is just laid out for you. Okay, It's yours. And Jesus said, I want you to know the same love that, I, that the Father has for me. And then what did, he, what did he say? That this love may be in them... And I in them. When we believe, the Holy Spirit enters into us, but Christ is not yet formed in us. Galatians 4.19. That is a process. That is a growth process. So he's saying that there's something that is there, but we it's like a gift at Christmas. You've got to unwrap it. You've got to find out what's on the inside. So we are told to take a long look at the Father's love for us. A long look at the Father's love for us. 1 John 3, 1. This is, uh, 1 John, is a, we've been through it a couple of times. Amazing book. And 1 John 3 just hits you right between the eyes. And he says, 
see, in other words, examine, explore, take a good look at, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. John is writing again what Jesus spoke in the garden in the high priestly prayer. Jesus wanted us to have this, and John said, I want you to stop and take a look at it. Because it's so easy to get distracted by the world and not think about God loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me. That's love. Any way you slice it. He says, take a look that we should be called children of God. Wow. And such we are. For this reason, the world doesn't know us because it does not know him. He said, stop and take a look at the Father's love for you. Because that's what the scripture reveals. Now, God's love for us is unconditional. If you want to follow along, turn to 1 John 4 and verse 7. The word love's used, I I don't have right in my head how many times it's used in 1 John, but it's a lot. 1 John 4, 7. And you, you might make a little note of how many times it's used right in this paragraph. Beloved, let us love one another. You think John learned from the master teacher he sat under for three and a half years? And maybe he remembered what the Lord told him the night before the cross? Let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Is this a message of love that he's just written down here? No one has beheld God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected or matured in us. It's where where we need to be. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Now when the Holy Spirit moves inside, what did he bring? Who is he? Number one, he's God. What did he bring with him? You know this stuff called fruit? That we read in Galatians 5 that we are supposed to, He brought it. So are we really producing it? Or are we carrying it? And just letting it be manifested. Hmm. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Now that's a powerful statement. The first thing, the Holy Spirit, when he moved inside of you, he brought the love of God with him. And if people say, I can't know the love of God, they've been deceived. You can know the love of God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. And he is love. Because he is fully God. And he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he's given us of his spirit. 
and we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God's abide, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love. Look at how many times it's used here. Over and over and over. Believe the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected or brought to its desired result with us. That we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, back in 1 John 2.28, if we were going through this in context, you'd realize we can stand in front of him in shame. As believers, we can stand in front of the Lord in shame. So what is the test of standing in front of the Lord? I think it was spelled out in John 21. Peter, do you love me? I think that's the test that we have as to whether or not we're going to stand in shame. That we may have confidence in the day of judgment and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. 1 John 2.28 Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, or we love because he first loved us, he says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now how important is brotherly love? The command to love your brother and to have brotherly love ranks right up there at the top with with loving God. And if you really love God, you love your brother. That's what John's trying to get across to the recipients. If you really love God, in fact, there's a place in there that he combines the two greatest commandments into one. So that is the commandment, that you love God and love your brother. He sees it as one commandment was inspired to be revealed that way. So... In any event, the importance of love, what is it? It's agape love. So it does what is right and best. We can sing, oh, how I love Jesus, but do we is the test. Do we really love the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and your mercy and love. Thank you for each other. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word once again. And I pray, Father, that it was planted deep in our souls and that it will come to fruition as you grant us opportunity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.